0: chapter 7. We are here benefiting from part of the Bible's wisdom literature. That's why we're here in a different genre, you might say, or type of literature in Scripture. We are benefiting from the wisdom literature in God's Word. Let me pray briefly, and then Sung will read our passage. Spirit of God, as has already been prayed this morning, would you meet us now in your living and active word? Open the eyes of our hearts to know, understand, and be transformed by what you tell us here. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The song will begin reading in verse 15.
1: Ecclesiastes 7, 15 through 29. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been, is far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly And the foolishness, that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. The word of the Lord.
0: This passage has been called one of the more notorious ones in the book of Ecclesiastes. With statements like verse 16, be not overly righteous or make yourself too wise. And verse 26, something more bitter than death, a woman whose heart is snares, you can perhaps see why. But there is something very important for us to learn from the preacher and his struggle here. I want to do so using the categories that Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann uses when he categorizes the psalms. He puts the psalms in three categories, categories, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, those three categories are also very helpful when you come to the book of Ecclesiastes and this passage and our own lives, because don't we experience all three? Orientation, when life lines up with what you believe, life makes sense. Disorientation, when life no longer lines up with what you thought it should be like, life doesn't make sense and you are confused. And then reorientation, you arrive at some new, deeper, Insight about God or yourself. We experience all three, do we not? Orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Friends, you probably experienced those this week and probably will experience them, or last week, and probably will experience them this coming week. And maybe you are right now. Times when your soul is confused. When things just don't, make sense. They don't quite add up for you. Well, in this passage, God is showing us how we might move from disorientation to reorientation, from from confusion to a deeper understanding, you might say, in two ways. Two, I'll call them two forms of disorientation in which he does that. Two forms of disorientation. Here's the first. First, disorientation. Life seems broken. First, life seems broken. Verse 15, he says, In my vain life, in my life where meaning just seems like a vapor, it's ethereal, I have seen everything he says. Again, he's functioning by what he sees, what he observes. Here's what he sees. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Do you see his disorientation there? We're supposed to be shocked by what he just told us. The righteous are dying young, the wicked are prolonging in a long happy life you see wisdom teaching often said the ethically righteous will live long like proverbs chapter 3 quote my son let your heart keep my commandments for length of days length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you some call this the deed consequence relationship in wisdom literature the deed consequence relationship Good behavior results in good consequences. Bad behavior results in bad consequences. And Proverbs describes how things often work in the economy of God. But Proverbs are not promises. That's important to keep in mind. Proverbs are not promises. They don't describe how things always work. And without that distinction, we have what I call a vending machine approach to life. You know how a vending machine works. You put in your $1.25, you push C5, and out comes the exact drink you want or the exact candy bar you want. That's how a vending machine operates. Do X, you always get Y. That's how the preacher seems to be thinking until now. In his wisdom from below, by what he sees, by what he observes, the vending machine seems to be broken. The deed-consequence relationship is breaking down. The righteous are dying. The rebellious are living long. What gives God? Maybe you're there this morning. What gives? Now, before we dismiss this, realize I do think we can have our own vending machine approaches. In parenting, for instance, We think, if I just parent right with these particular parenting practices, my child will turn out right. But then maybe your kid breaks your heart or turns away from Christ, and you find yourself in disorientation. I did it right. Why did this happen? Or you think, if I marry right in the church, Marriage will always be great. It'll be unbroken bliss. You go into marriage thinking that way. Unbroken bliss is ahead of me. And then maybe sometimes it's not. You might find the relationship is difficult. Sometimes, sadly, there is even a form of abuse. Some marriages end in divorce and we're left disoriented. Or you think, if I do my finances right, if I save wisely and give generously, God will bless me financially, and then you lose your job. Or a bill hits that devastates you financially, of your fault, no fault of your own, and your soul is confused. Or you're a student and you think, if I get the right grades, I will definitely get the right job. And then you graduate during a recession. Or the job market no longer appreciates your particular degree. And you're confused and perplexed. Or we think, if I just live right, if I live right, God will preserve me from trials. I'll be healthy and wealthy and wise. And then the diagnosis comes. And the chronic illness hits and you wonder what is happening. Or you think, if we just think right, if we just think right, we'll always feel right. If I, feel, if I think right, then the depression will go away. And sometimes the depression doesn't go away. And you're perplexed. Or lastly, we can think, can't we, if we do church right, if we do church right, there will be always perfect love and perfect unity and unhindered kingdom growth. And then you go through a pandemic. And maybe that doesn't happen. And you feel disillusioned. Friends, we can have our own kind of vending machine approach to life, producing our own sense of disorientation. And into that context... The preacher says in verse 16 and 17, don't be too righteous or too wicked. I think he's saying don't be too righteous in the sense of don't try to manipulate God with your vending machine approach with extra added legalistic righteousness. You know, if I was just more righteous in every minutia of life, then I would force God to bless me. If I could turn from some unknown sin then my parenting would work. Then my marriage would work. Then my job or career or health would improve. I think that's what he's getting at. Or don't be too wicked. Don't, don't defy God in license either. You know, I'll sin in whatever ways I want then. If God's going to be like that, I'll just give myself to rebellion. Neither approach, listen, neither approach provides the reorientation you need. Instead, verse 18 does. Verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that withhold not your hand. for, for the one who fears God, the one who fears God, shall come out from both of them. Seems he's saying by fearing God, by holding God in awe and and reverence, you won't manipulate God in your attempts at legalistic righteousness, and you won't seek to defy God in your license to sin either. Instead, holding him in awe and reverence, you will be reoriented. Think of it like this. A true story. Steve Callahan was lost at sea in a little rubber raft for 76 days, somewhere between Africa and the Caribbean. He managed to construct a sextant out of pencils. My understanding is a sextant is a navigational tool you use to to measure the angle between two points. And by this crude sextant, he could orient himself By the stars. He was able to roughly discern his location, catch the correct current, and drift somehow to safety. He used the fixed realities of the stars to orient himself. That's what the fear of God does. You are orienting yourself around the fixed reality named God, his character, his nature. Fearing God is is your... Sextant, you might say, navigating through life by the fixed reality of who he really is. It's holding him in awe and wonder in light of the fact that he is holy and sovereign and good and loving and wise and faithful to his people. It's saying, isn't it? It's saying, God is my fixed reality around which I must reorient my life. It's it's letting God be God, I think is a simple way to say it. It's letting God be God in your life, in your circumstance. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, in this particular passage, part of the preacher's problem seems to be He's taken a strand of wisdom literature, wisdom teaching, and absolutized it. The righteous will always live long, no exceptions. And then he observes something different in real time, and that throws him into disorientation. What he needs is all of God's revelation, interpreting his orient, or his observation. He needs the whole counsel of God, making sense of what he is seeing seeing or perceiving. He needs, for instance, in addition to wisdom literature, he needs the book of Job, where righteous Job suffers greatly, then encounters God as creator and sustainer of all and says, "I, I put my hand over my mouth. He needs the book of Habakkuk, where God says he will judge his people by a more sinful people. Habakkuk can't believe this news, until he learns that God's holy justice will be done in the end, and Habakkuk submits to God, saying, "Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, I will rejoice in the Lord." He needs, he needs Psalm seventy-three, which has been called the book of Ecclesiastes in miniature. In Psalm 73, the psalmist struggles just like the preacher here. I see the rebellious prospering. What gives? And then he goes into the temple, sees their end, gets an eternal perspective, and says, God is enough for me. You you see my point. I think the preacher here absolutized one piece when he needed the whole counsel of God to help him understand when life seemed to him to be broken. We are, we are like the character Peta in The Hunger Games. I'm not sure how many have seen or watched The Hunger Games. Some of the teenagers maybe have seen that. We rewatched one of The Hunger Game movies recently, so this was driven home to me. Peta is so brainwashed, he can no longer correctly discern reality. Peter says, I can't tell what's real and what's made up anymore. Another character says, Then ask us. Ask us what's real. In other words, don't look to within to figure it out. Get some external confirmation of what's real and true. So Peter, throughout, starts asking, real or not real? Real or not real? Of course, it's very sweet at the end. He asks Katniss, You love me? Real or not real? And she says, real friends, that's what we need, that's what the preacher lacked to look without to the whole counsel of God, to look without to the entire word of God, to get external confirmation from God's word as to what's real. When you're in disorientation, you can ask, God, are you? absolutely sovereign over this situation, real or not real, and God's word says real. God, you are wise in all you do, real or not real, God's word says real. God, you are, you are good and loving and faithful in this situation, real or not real, and the whole counsel of God says real. And then you can let God be God over your parenting, and let God be God over your marriage and let God be God over your studies and your finances and your health and everything. For me that recently at times has looked like praying a simple prayer as well. Father, I am placing this situation in your hands. I acknowledge I am not in control. I am trusting you. I submit to what you do in this circumstance. And my soul is helped. Friends, when life seems broken, we are reoriented by fearing God, holding him in awe, wonder, revering him. Then there's a, a second, though, a second disorientation, I would call it a second disorientation. Life seems random. First, life seems broken to him, and then he gets to a place where life seems random. Look at verse 19 now. Verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. It's as if he's saying, don't, don't misunderstand, I still believe in wisdom. It's still a good thing, but then he says, but we are all flawed, verse 20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins, introducing to us a problem called sin, and then he gives an illustration, verse 21, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So, verse 20 says, All are flawed, all have sinned. Verse 22 says, Look in the mirror. That includes you, bud. And that's all well and good, but it seems to spur some deeper disorientation in the preacher. He goes on a search. Look at what he says, verse 23. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, "I will be wise, but it was far from me. It escaped me. Verse 24, "That which has been is far off, and deep, very deep. who can find it? The, the wisdom I was looking for, it was, it was over the horizon. It was buried in the depths of the ocean. I couldn't get there. Verse 25. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. Notice that. The scheme of things. And to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. There are some some repeated words here that I think show us what he's driving at. The forms of the word find show up here eight times. Find or found or not found. Found. And the word translated scheme, or your translation might say sum as in S-U-M, the scheme of things or the sum of things shows up three times in this section. It speaks of trying to add things up like a, like a mathematical formula. It seems like he's on a search. He's trying to find out meaning and make it add up like a perfect, nice, neat equation. He wants to find meaning, find purpose in life with a nice, tidy formula. And some things he says he finds and others, though, he doesn't. This is where he says he finds a woman whose heart is a snare and nets. There's a lot of debate about what he's talking about. I think perhaps he's warning against an adulterous woman as the book of Proverbs does as well. And in that vein, he goes on to say, I have found one man, one man who is upright, basically, among a thousand, but not a single woman who is upright. A couple commentators mention, I think this might be helpful, that the preacher is, we assume, a man writing to a male audience, and if this were a female writing to a female audience, she could utter similar warnings about men. She could say legitimately, watch out for the man who wants to use you as an object for his own pleasure. I warn you, I find one upright woman among a thousand and not a single upright man. So I give him the benefit of the doubt here. I think he's saying, I find this sort of relational, proverbial wisdom. But he is still a confused wise man, as Tremper Longman puts it. He's still a confused wise man. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. Behold, this is what I found. Here's what I found, says the preacher. While adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. He's after a formula. He wants it to be neat and tidy. I'm adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly but I have not found. I'm trying to get life to add up with a nice neat formula and it's not working. Isn't that true? We want to make life into a formula. God says, you're trusting your formula. You're not trusting me. I'm trying to add one thing to another to make it all make sense in my own mind, and I've not found it. He seems to go from life is broken to life is random. From life is a vending machine to life is like a slot machine. Now, I'm not not advocating for gambling whatsoever, but you know how a slot machine works. Probably you put your money in or token in, you pull the handle, The thing spins on the screen, you have no idea what you're going to see. Apples, oranges, whatever, some combination of something, it seems entirely random, and you're just hoping against hope that you might, might, might hit the jackpot. Friends, can't we think of our lives that way? When the kids are not doing well, The marriage not doing well, the finance is not doing well. The health, the relationships, the schooling, you fill in the blank, not going well. We extrapolate like the preacher. From life is broken to life just seems random. There's no rhyme or reason to it. No God ruling over it. I guess my parenting doesn't matter. I'll just be passive with my kids. I guess it doesn't matter if I invest in my marriage. Who cares if I reconcile with my spouse or I pursue a closer relationship? I guess it doesn't matter how I steward my money or how I study or how I live. We become cynical, don't we? Maybe we even reevaluate the Bible or reevaluate God. We put God in the dock, as C.S. Lewis said. We put him on trial in our hearts. Either you're not good or you're not in control, but you can't be both because this seems so random. That's the disorientation here. And when you are there, and we will be at times, what do you need to remember? What could help you? Look at verse 29. Verse 29. See, this alone I found. So here's bottom line conclusion. This alone I found. That God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. He's referring to mankind's fall into sin. God made us upright, he says, but we strayed, we're a a fallen species. That means life all around you is like the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. It was in the news, of course, not long ago because the Russian army was there. And that's a big deal because of all the fallout from that nuclear disaster. The plume of smoke and debris deposited radioactive material across a broad area. Now, toxic pollution in this large area permeates the soil and the water supply, extending the effects of that disaster to future generations. That's what happened with the first sin. Radioactive fallout affects everything around you. The fallout from the first sin is you are fallen yourself, and you live in a fallen world. You have a fallen body. You you live in a fallen community, a fallen nation with a fallen government. You might be here, and you might be skeptical skeptical toward Christianity, and I'm I'm glad you're here. I want you to realize, though, the, the Bible's worldview explains all the pain we experience in life the bible explains that that there is a radioactive <laughs> fallout that has happened from mankind's plunge into rebellion recognizing that fallout brings some reorientation as well i heard a pastor mention the white book that is treated for used for treating sexual addiction the white book says quote I have found something better than lust. Reality. That's what Ecclesiastes is giving us here. Reality. Reality to reorient us. Reality that means to shape us by giving us right expectations. When we began this series back in the park, I mentioned how there is a local counselor to whom we've referred a number of members, happily so, and they've been quite helped by this local counselor, for which we are very glad. And as these members have come back to me and I've asked, what's been so helpful to you, a consistent theme has been expectations. He helped me have right expectations. And I think that's Been helpful because when we have right expectations, we're not surprised, we're not disoriented when hard things come. That's where the preacher lands here. Reality it's a fallen world. I should expect these challenges. So I hope you're seeing the reorientation of this passage. It's twofold, isn't it? Fear God and remember it's a fallen world. Fear God. Hold Him in awe and reverence and, and remember it's a fallen world. There has been radioactive fallout all around us. Fear God and remember it's a fallen world, contaminating everything. Including me and you. It's why parenting is not a formula. Because of the fallout. You are a fallen person parenting fallen children. You cannot change the human heart, you cannot regenerate the human soul. So, friends, fear God. Let God be God over your parenting. Be as faithful as He enables you to be, yes, but not surprised when parenting is hard or heartbreaking. It's why marriage is not guaranteed bliss because of the fallout. You're a fallen person married to a fallen person sharing a bathroom. That does not excuse things like abuse for a second, but it explains why marriage can be hard at times. So fear Him. Let God be God over your marriage. And don't be surprised when it's hard. Expect that and work through that. You are two redeemed people who still have a lot of fallenness. It's why financial trials come and health problems come. That's part of the fallout, troubles, and trial and pain. We expect that. Let God be God. Fear Him, trust Him. He's good, He's loving, He's sovereign over it still. It's why you can think right <laughs> and the depression lingers. Because the fallout has touched our brains. It's not surprising. Keep fearing him. Keep trusting him. Keep pressing on in faith. It's why in the church, there isn't always perfect unity or always constant advance. We are new creations in Christ who still carry around a good bit of fallenness in us, aren't we? It's not surprising when we might experience that. Let God be God over, yes, our church. Let God be God over the church everywhere, knowing our God will accomplish his purposes. Friends, fear God and remember it's a fallen world. There has been fallout from the first sin. And then remember the one who came to deal with that fallout. Remember The Son, God the Son, that God the Father did not spare but sent him for the fallout you're experiencing. It's interesting. There is one verse in the entire book of Ecclesiastes that we think is clearly alluded to in the New Testament. It's in our passage, verse 20. Verse 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That seems to be alluded to and quoted along with Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 in Romans chapter 3. Where God describes our helpless estate, our desperate condition, the fact that no one is truly righteous before him. But now, God says, but now there is a righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ the one who has entered this world of pain, this world of fallout, who suffered in it and suffered for us, who died for the sins of all who believe, who rose from the grave and, friends, is returning. And so all the disorientation you feel should ultimately point you to him. All the disorientation you experience this week should ultimately point you to the one who is right now reorienting you and will one day reorient all things. So fear God, remember the fallout, and remember your Savior, Jesus Christ, who will one day make all things new Including you. Let's pray. And if you would, just take a moment in your own heart to engage with God, what He might be speaking to you about. If you're here realizing you've never really trusted that Savior, you can call upon him even now in your heart. Acknowledge that you too are a sinner who needs a Savior. And trust in his life, death, and resurrection to take your sins away. Or maybe you're here as a believer in Jesus, but you've been disoriented. Ask him to meet you. Ask him to help you, to pierce through the confusion you're experiencing, to help you hold him again in awe and reverence, and maybe have right expectations in a fallen world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you, for, thank you for wisdom literature. You are using it to meet us, I trust, in some unique ways. Meet us even now, we ask you. Help us to, to fear you, to hold you in awe and reverence, to orient ourselves around the fixed reality of who you are your unchanging character and purpose. And help us as well to have right expectations as we live in a fallen world, anticipating our glorious Savior's return. Help us even now as we take the bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper. Strengthen our hearts by faith, we ask you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.